Well, we're on Zoom. Every time I do that, I do like the was it, um, commercial, the Zoom Zoom thing. That's what you were singing. Swift lyric that you've heard a hundred times, but you can remember that that commercial was from Mazda. I'm pretty sure it was. By the way, we're already recording, so feel free to use any of these gems at any point. I think that's how we'll start the episode right there. <laughs> that's how that happens. <laughs> All right. Okay. I missed you guys last week. I know you needed to do a thing, but damn, this has become something I'm looking forward to in my, you know, quarantined state. Oh, we missed you too. It was it was one of those things where it's like we had this idea for the the love letter to all the adjectivians. In a way, we were we were with you, you know, um, like we were yeah. with you, <laughs> or at least okay, your music. Says we had the idea for that. It was like six hours before we recorded. We went, oh no, <laughs> we need a topic. <laughs> it's still an idea. It still counts. <laughs> And then we pushed it back a day, so we had more than six hours to prepare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like Jamie's comment. Wait, we're supposed to analyze a piece? What now? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I actually find that is uh, that is the best um, use of Slack, I think, is is not just the information that gets sent out, but we get to see everybody's like responses in real time. And <laughs> yeah. it's, I think that's the most amusing thing. Well, everyone, welcome to Corona Tones. Maybe last one. May I don't know. Who knows? Oh, it's definitely not going to be the last. Oh, okay. One. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. There it is. <laughs> All right, it has been decided. Uh, welcome to Corona Tones five. Then not five, not final. Um, we've got a bunch of adjectivians, as Jamie would say. <laughs> I'm never going to, it's not, it's, I just make fun of it. Um, <laughs> are you flipping me? Yeah, she's flipping me off. I'm just fixing my glasses. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't right. <laughs> okay. Well, since, since it is an over drinks, let's go around and say what we're drinking. I'll just kick us off. I've got, um, a vat of, uh, 790 or 1792 bourbon that I'll make my way through. And maybe refill. Who knows? <laughs> Sheree, that when I said over Slack, this is what a part is. One part bourbon. Part bourbon. All right. <laughs> well, since you mentioned Sheree, are you, because Sheree, you prepared a recipe uh, oh, yeah. on Slack. Are you are you executing <gasps> that particular? Or I, for, you... I did forget. But I tell you what, if we take a break like we always do, I'll make that just for you, Andrew. <laughs> Um, and then I'll share the recipe. It's really good. I'm just having my typical Sancerre white. Although I tried, and four of you will appreciate this, I had originally poured a hard cider that I got from the filling station. Nice. We, we ordered pizza tonight. They are delivering. Yay. They only started delivering during coronavirus. So we're all excited about that. <laughs> and you can order a growler and they'll deliver it, like we've talked about some of the other folks. Mm-hmm. So I always have them... They have two ciders, and I don't like either one by itself. There's one that's too sweet and one that's not too dry, and they will blend it for you. Mm. Fabulous. They bring it to me. It's not my growler. They gave me somebody else's growler, and it's oh, one no. of it's one of the, the beers, and I'm just not a beer person. So I'm like, who can I save this for and give it to them? Because <laughs> that's too bad. So I had to say no to that, and I have my typical white. <laughs> 
That was very long. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, long and exciting. It's, I, I, I liked it. I'm trying to figure out it, how badly my wife would kill me if I drove to your house to get that growler. <laughs> Honey, it's yours if you come up. Yeah. I'll just put it on the front porch. It's, we don't even... a, it's only a five-hour drive. Maybe I could... He's doing the math. Don't do it. Wow. Well, I am going to be true to form and drink something that uh, several of you might not be impressed by, and I'm going to go with the ginger beer. Uh, Yes, Krabby's original alcoholic ginger beer for me. I'm drinking champagne. Whoa. What's the occasion? I uh, I found a bottle in the back of the fridge I forgot about. Uh, we got, we got, I'm going to show you guys and I'm sorry. It's not really selling it. No, I got this for running the, the wine glass half marathon in October and I totally forgot we had it. Um, so I was cleaning out the fridge earlier and I went, Oh, Hey, (laughs) I'm drinking champagne tonight. And then I'll switch to bourbon, which is maybe the weirdest combo I've had yet. But yeah, champagne to bourbon. I love it. Both of the Robs approve of this, uh, this switch, I think. Very much so. The champagne's not bad. It's New York State champagne, so it's technically not champagne, but it's good. (laughs) Well, I have sort of a coronavirus-themed beer. It's actually a really delicious IPA from um, Schilling Beer Company, which is up in Littleton, New Hampshire. Um, And it's fitting because it's named uh, appropriately for what all of our haircuts are going to be looking like soon. So in order to (laughs) dedicate this beer to the bad reason. I'm drinking the Schilling um, Resilience Comb Over, (laughs) which is delicious. Beautiful can. I love that can. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Well played. Thank Um, you. I'm drinking, I'm sadly, I don't have a Brute IPA. Uh, that Andrew Cody Brute and I can do our, our patented Brute IPA segment. That's yet yes. to actually happen. I know it's gonna um, happen too soon. I have a I have some cream ale from the brewery down the street, seven three four Brewing Company. We got a growler today. It's a little flat, which is just upsetting for the day you open a growler. Yeah. But I guess I'll just have to drink it. Power through. Today or tomorrow. So. It'll get you drunk. I totally misheard you. I was like, what is a cream ale? Yeah, no, that's what I said. It's a I cream ale. Cream oh. ale. It's oh. two separate words. Oh, yeah, yeah. They yeah. heard it as like a singular gender. Oh, I see. The cream ale. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Sheree. Yeah. I just took a sip. <laughs> kind of sounds like, um, yeah, did you receive my cream ale yesterday? Or did it go to your there you go. Yep. I sent it in cream ale. <laughs> there you go. All right, and welcoming back to uh, an overdrinks, Rob Deemer. What do you yeah. what do you got going on? Oh yeah, uh, so um, many folks who who know me know that uh, my drink of choice is usually bourbon, and tonight uh, is is a brand that I was actually introduced to by my wife Lori, uh, and that is Larceny, which <laughs> seems on one. brand. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> um. I think I had like when I was when I was still in China and you know people would come to visit me and every time someone would come to visit from the states I had them like smuggle bottles and bottles of bourbon in um it's not smuggling it was legal but um but I think I think larceny was one of the ones I had them bring it was like I had them bring bookers and knob creek 9 9 year and this and that and this and that and larceny was in that list can't say I remember it. Oh yeah, 
<laughs> well, it's 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 fun because since so many of us have connections to uh, to Interlochen and, and and Northern Michigan, that uh, actually one of one of the, the the memories that I have of my time up there was Joel Puckett uh, introducing me to a number of different really good bourbons, mm-hmm. and so he kind of got me started on on that, and then it's just gone downhill from there. As it does, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Y'all wave to Jen Jolly. We're texting. Hey. All right. I'll send her that. Why isn't she on this? You should have her and knock in a half hour and come on in. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so what are we talking about tonight, friends? Well, I am a little bit over online teaching. I don't know how you guys. Are. I mean, I love my students. This has nothing to do with the people. Yes. And everything to do with I don't want to look at the computer again. I'm I, I'm in the I've I've only got two more days of exams then I'm done. I'm not done <laughs> until Memorial Day. I got to the point this week where I tried to bribe my productivity with a cookie. <laughs> I saw that. That was an awesome post. <laughs> and did it work? <laughs> uh, not really. All of my mornings have been pretty aimless, um, and I know why. I think I've stopped doing the thing every morning that gets me into the start of my day. But also, I just don't give a fuck. Yeah. Anymore. It's it's hard to give and a fuck right now. I can I can like pull it together for lessons, but my classes, I'm behind on grading, I'm behind on prep, I'm behind on other prep that isn't video. I'm just like, this is gonna be atrocious for the next two weeks here. So uh buckle up or sit and knit for four hours. Either one. She right. did bring the knitting with her tonight. I did. So. I had to put yeah. it down to drink. I'm actually I like excited that. what the knitting will look like. After the champagne. <clears throat> I'm concerned that the knitting has something to do with the French Revolution. <laughs> In the time of coronavirus. Do you, do you... <laughs> it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> the knitting is a two-year overdue baby blanket. The child is now about to get a younger sibling. It's okay. The, like As a parent of a new child, as evidenced by the fact that I'm feeding him right now... <laughs> Uh, for like a little baby, like you don't want to put them on a baby blanket. They're just going to spit up on it. Yep. Right. Yep. This one's huge. This yeah. is one of my eyes. And they, they can't sleep with well. a, they can't sleep with a blanket because they'll suffocate for a long time. So you, you got to get them one of those, yeah. like, uh, what, what are those things called? I can't even remember at this point, but the a swaddle. Snuggly? No. no the, yes, it's, it's a like swaddle, a sleep but sack. sleep sack. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> a burrito. A baby, yeah, a baby burrito. burrito. Oh yeah. Don't I want a sleep sack. You'll probably. You may. Same. You based on <laughs> based on Isaac's sleep schedule. The last the last three nights he has slept ten nine to ten hours from like Ooh. ten till seven thirty. Cherish wow. that. Congratulations. Buddy. He's eleven weeks old. People, this is like. I'm, I'm, I know it, of, right? I know it won't last. I'm just enjoying it while it does. Say, this is a little bit like that really excited tweet you had when he was two weeks old, and then you you yeah. regretted it the next day. Yeah, Violet. No. Violet kind of figured out figured that out pretty early too. Yeah. Um, but uh, you may, based on his sleep schedule, you may see him in a sleep sack before this <laughs> podcast is over. So nice. Yeah. Well, if it's any consolation to you, um, my Annie was sleeping through the night. Right. And and by sleeping through the night, I mean about six hours a night yeah. straight, right around the three month mark. Yeah. Mm. Violet, too. That seems about right. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. The baby blanket is for the impending uh, kiddo of of Annie Nykirk, who's nice. our uh-huh. adjective. Yeah, her first kid, Jenny, is going to be the one that uses it first, though, and then little one that's coming any day now <laughs> can have it next. <laughs> Anyways, that's what I'd rather do than prep all my teaching is sit and work on a baby blanket that's two years overdue. Well, Andrew, uh, co- sorry, Cody and, and Garrett. It's <laughs> really okay. There are two Andrews, there are Andrew, two Robs. Can be They're like, Andy. It's okay. Yeah. Um, you, you guys have sat out for, for a couple times. So like, what's going on with you guys? Yeah. So, um, we we still have another two weeks left, um, and our final exam period kind of begins around May 11th. And I say final exam period kind of begins because everyone's kind of doing different stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, just stuff that's worked and stuff that hasn't worked is kind of similar to some of what you all have been talking about. And, you know, I think now that some of the synchronous technology is getting better, that's exciting and that's great. One of the cooler things, and I, I'd love to chat and see if there's anybody else who's had a similar experience, um, that I've just noticed is um, as more and more people are getting tired of being at home and being by themselves, I've actually found it um, really fun to uh, connect with people who maybe I wouldn't normally connect with just by reaching out and sending a message. Um, And that includes not just friends, but also um, people who are like working industry professionals. And um, it all kind of started with the, uh, one of the ensembles I direct um, the contemporary music group, um, has been collaborating with this uh, American his- digital history class this semester, uh, writing music for a podcast series that they're l- launching. And um, one of the, well, the teacher of this class actually um, saw a tweet from um, Peter Segal, uh, or Segal, uh, he's the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, yeah. who was yeah. basically like, hey, if uh, classes would like me to come on, uh, I'd be happy to do that. And so she responded right away on Twitter. <laughs> And he responded, and here we are in like a Zoom call with my students and her students talking about Sweet. making a podcast with the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Nice. That's and amazing. Was, I'm completely jealous. Yeah, right so now. it was super cool. And then we're talking to him, and he's like, oh, wow, it sounds like the topics here is exactly like this book and recommends this other NPR author who his name is escaping me off the top of my head. And sure enough, they have a fun email exchange, and then we're on with him and then another personality from NPR. So it was it was kind of like our NPR connecting over podcast thing and then the other weird thing was um i reached out to a guy who actually uh is from michigan another michigan native um a guy named ben schuler who actually does a lot of um pop music um and has like a youtube channel of his own music and plays in a band called nerd out which has like two and a half million subscribers on youtube um so anyways i just sent him a message saying hey i know it's been a while but would you be willing to come on and talk with um, my students about, you know, music entrepreneurship and, and building opportunities. And he said, sure. And I told my department head and she's like, can we make it a school-wide thing? And then she told the dean and they were like, can we make it a department, like a, you know, a, a school-wide thing? And yeah. so it ends up being this really cool uh, conversation. And I think in a way it's, I don't know, I think a lot of students go to music schools to because they think of the importance of building connections. And although music school isn't necessarily the place where you always find those, um, I thought it's actually been cool to be able to to offer some of those, and it's just all been due to the kindness and slash boredom of, uh, yeah. I think, <laughs> uh, some celebrity folk who are out there in the industry. Have Have you all had any sort of encounters with that, or even just collaborations that you've found talking with other people or working with other people um, in order to kind of supplement your courses? I mean, um, 
not since we went totally online, but actually before this entire year beforehand, I was uh, for my composition seminar just because like we're in Athens, Ohio. We don't get people just kind of coming through. Um, and so I was nauseating to drive through. (laughs) Well, I think it's a pretty (laughs) national forest route in and it was, well, (laughs) you guys were coming a different way, but anyway, (laughs) surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, but, uh, like I was reaching out to people, um, of various backgrounds to just, to just do this, like to Skype into my composition seminar. And that worked really, really well. The all last semester and this semester, I had Evan, we had Jamie, mm-hmm. uh, I had one of my former students. We had a couple people. I mean, these are all my friends that I'm kind of leaning on for this, but I could see it working f- with complete strangers too. I mean, yeah. half of the like, you know, ha- I would say half of the guests I have on the podcast I've never met before, and that like as as i've gone through and like oh well no they'd never say yes well why the hell not they're a person mm-hmm. you know so i think like maybe that's something we're all learning from this is like we're all just people and no matter like the fame or or the you know importance or or whatever like this experience has really brought us all down to like no we're we're all sitting in front of zoom in our underwear so. Yeah, and I, and I think the thing to add on to that too is um, the, at least the benefit of I've um, I, I've found from this too is it's it's um, demonstrating to my students um, that you know it, it's okay to ask questions mm-hmm. because you know even though we have you know our higher education degrees and we're in teaching positions and we're supposedly being paid to be the experts on subject matter the fact that we are still asking questions and uh, relying on other people I think is a good way to maybe set them up in the future. Yeah, I think it definitely depends on the industry, too, because um, we did have this really rock solid um, visit that we were supposed to do with Cleveland Orchestra with my arts leadership class. And our our contact there, I haven't asked much of her, but that's partially because they canceled their international tour in March. And then they're scrambling to try and well, I say scrambling. That's what I would be doing if I worked there. They're probably handling it with great dignity, but um, you know, they're they're trying to create something new for this summer. So um, we kind of pivoted away from that. I did plan to ask her to just do like a Skype meeting with me that we videoed, but I also kind of feel guilty for taking her time when I know that she's in the donor, the development area of a nonprofit during a time when nobody has money to give to a nonprofit, but those who don't pay their musicians are also getting called out. It's a really tricky balance. So I really don't want to ask more. Yeah. And also I'm a little lazy today. <laughs> I think there's such a, a delicate balance to navigate between mm-hmm. seeing this time as like a chaotic period where new opportunities are going to open up themselves and then also just being like, what can I handle or what is like reasonable to do? Uh, Andrew Cody, I don't think anything that you've done is unreasonable, but it's like interesting to think about. Um, like I've been, I live next to the, in the town next to, or rather there is a pretty famous state university in the town next to the town where I live. I don't want to center them geographically. <clears throat> so the University of Michigan. No, no centering. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but I was going to say Grand Valley State University. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. Let's go through all the different public schools. Central Michigan? In Michigan. Yes. Yeah, this um, is so good. This is Ferris so good. State University. No, um, but uh, no, you. I live, I live next door to the University of Michigan, uh, metaphorically, and they have like huge enrollment boost for the summer term. Um, which I know, I think a lot of schools are seeing. And so like, I know people who, but in the like liberal arts. And so I know people who are aware of this, who are, um, interested in, in me having a future teaching. And so I'm like throwing course descriptions around to them as like classes that I could potentially teach in a liberal arts context that would be musical. And that's not something that like, that's just like hoping that because of the chaos, something happens and and i think it's reasonable to like try to take advantage of it but not in a way that's like harmful to anyone which of course cody you weren't doing but when we start talking about like the way uh jamie as you intimated like how some arts organizations are handling this from a from a labor perspective or something like that then then it gets a little bit more problematic but i i had this funny moment where i was like thinking about and I had a little imposter syndrome moment where I was like, oh, I've never taught liberal arts classes. Why would they do this? And it's like, wait, this is like a totally crazy time. Like, (laughs) it's really, this is like when it's like, okay to be like, I'm a warm body, put me in your classroom. Thank you. (laughs) You know, that's as, as someone who's only been a contingent faculty member you sure that's not a <laughs> as, as someone who's only ever been a contingent faculty member, it, like, feels that way a lot of the time. <clears throat> like, you're just, like, this person to fill this space. But, like, now I'm like, ooh, hopefully they agree and they want me to work there. You know, so. Nice. <laughs> awesome. One thing I've noticed with, uh, we haven't, uh, all of my classes I've been, I've been basically teaching asynchronously. So I haven't, I haven't worried about, uh, bringing in guests. Although if we have to do this in the fall, there will be guests. There will be lots of guests. Uh, but one of the things I've been noticing is how quickly, uh, conferences and other just gathering of people have either how quickly folks have been like, okay, let's just shift to an online medium or, Let's just not do that this year. And and I and it's been fascinating uh, as someone who's done a fair amount of travel in the last few years uh, to to be like, oh, I guess we don't have to do that anymore. And I think one of the things uh, from Andrew's uh, uh, comment is I think this may be a bit of a turning point or a nexus point in in some form to kind of be like I, I in the past. Past meaning basically everything before six weeks ago. Uh, the idea of doing something like this seemed to kind of be doing it on the cheap, as opposed to no, it's much better to bring someone there and they're in the room and you get to talk with them. Uh, and then this was kind of like, well, if you if you absolutely have to, then you can like Skype them in or something like that. And obviously now that's pretty much going to be what we're going to have, at least for the short term. And and so my guess is, is that this type of interaction and this type of, of inviting this concept of inviting people to your class, even if we are back in class, 
will probably be a lot easier to be able to do because people are going to be so used to doing this that it'll just be like, oh, yeah, sure. Let me just find an hour and then, you know, you're there. Yeah. Plus, not to mention the fact that once you've got your students in a class, it's just setting up, you know, the projection screen. It's not actually like making sure everyone at home has reliable Internet and yes. can stream or yes. like you're sharing screens or right. share, you know it's it's becoming layers and layers and yeah but that's I, a really interesting point it'll be interesting and i hope you know the in-person stuff will continue um it'll be it'll be i mean i think that's that's maybe the point that we haven't really scratched too much um with this podcast yet or at least in the ones that i've been on is like uh you know what will our new normal look like um because i don't know in our department there are still a lot of moments that are happening where um, we're still trying, uh, like uh, many of us, have, I think, have accepted the fact that we're online right now, but some of us are still like holding on to like, oh, well, my ensemble can still do this performance or, you know, we can still organize that and it's going to look the same. It's just going to be on computer screens. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's, nope. <laughs> it's a hard, it's a hard thing for people to let go. But um, I, I think welcoming back in will be an it would be an interesting conversation. Not saying that everyone's gonna be like, I loved being in a virtual choir. I'm just gonna do that for forever. Uh. But like, <laughs> well, I think there's an extreme dichotomy there that we're not really we're not really touching on either. And and the ideas we're skirting around are is that that this is all possible, and one is not worse than well, so one of them is a little more exhausting at the moment. But if we all build our our tolerance for this, you know, online teaching could be a part of what we do, but we can't do all online or all in person anymore. We've got to accept the fact that there's going to be a schism here and that it's going to go multiple directions forward. And this is for some people who would never, ever in their lives teach online to there was learn a, how to do it. There was a very interesting, there were two very interesting threads on Twitter today that I won't say who who did them, but I'll say that Judd Greenstein put them together. And it was, there were two composers, like younger, compo like earlier career composers, like in their 30s, one who was saying, I really hope that we don't just have virtual performances because of everything we lose from being in, in, in person. And then someone else saying, I really like virtual performances because it breaks down the privilege so many people have to get into these exclusive places that you have to know certain people to get at National Sawdust. You have to know certain people to get at Carnegie Hall and, and that sort of thing. And now all of that has gone away to an extent. I mean, we've talked a lot on this podcast about like things that you like uh, knowledge you need to have to like do a virtual performance well and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah. but it's an interesting thing because both of these things are true. Like we do lose something, but we also gain something. Mm -hmm. And I think managing that as we look forward to what the world is going to be like will be a very interesting thing to pay attention to. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, uh, chime in here with a little bit of a thing that I did not expect from the whole, uh, escapades here, our pandemic that we're currently in. And, and I'm probably going to end up shooting this part of the conversation back to Rob Deemer, which is fine with me. Cause I've been on a lot of these podcasts and done a lot of talking and his voice is better anyway. So all of that being said, wow. um, the fact that we have remote 
uh, assistance from uh, students at other universities for the Institute for Composer Diversity projects that we're currently having. Like there's a lot of data that we're um, uh, cultivating and picking through and uh, analyzing and uploading and all of this stuff, there's actually been um, a really wonderful collaboration that has come out of this kind of pandemic. And I, if, if you don't mind, Rob, I'll kick this over to you for just a few brief details about that new ex endeavor. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, it this all came about because uh, Corey Meals, who is on faculty at the University of Houston, uh, he's on their music ed faculty. A couple of his students were uh, complaining to him that they were on work study. And now that we were in the uh, the pandemic chapter, uh, they they didn't have any their, the the stuff that they were doing for that work study has gone away. But the university was still like, well, you need to be doing something in order for us to pay you. Uh, and so he came up with the idea of checking in to see if a couple of these work study students could help us with our data entry uh, with the Institute. Wonderful. And then I was like, I, I just quick shot a note over to Mary Ellen Poole, who's the director at the university of Texas. And I said, Hey, this thing's going on at the university of Houston. Do you happen to have any? <laughs> and we actually just had a meeting with all of them. We had 15 students. Oh my God. Uh, between the two universities, uh, and, uh, that, that have come on and are going to be helping us for at least a month. If not, some of them may go into the summer, uh, because of their contracts and the universities seem to be really cool with it. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And actually I didn't even tell you this, this guys, but actually, uh, Marilyn shrewd, just contacted me yesterday saying that she has a DMA student who their uh, summer internship went went kerplooey and is checking with us to see about maybe doing an internship with us. So, and all, again, this is all just coming in through either, you know, Facebook messages or, or uh, email. And it's relatively easy. We've kind of have this whole thing set up where it doesn't matter what city you're in. We can we can send things out to you and and uh, I think you're going to probably see at least a little bit more of that yeah. uh, in the future. Yeah, I, that, that's the thing out of this whole thing that I'm really enjoying is this kind of collaborative energy that that has kind of been thrust upon us or forced upon us yeah. to, to explore further. So should we say to any listeners out there, mm -hmm. if you have any students or you're looking for internship <laughs> opportunities. <laughs> If you yeah, yourself exactly. lost an internship, I see this about to have a flood of. <laughs> of hey, there is Which? no there is no shortage of data out there uh, that That's needs right. to be analyzed. <laughs> well, and and to be honest, one of the other thing that this this always reminds me of, it brings me back to, is how lucky I feel having a teaching gig. Uh, yeah. you know, I yeah. just, I just had a conversation right. with a colleague who plays violin in the national symphony in, and in the Greensboro symphony and the El Paso symphony. And, you know, she has to fly around to all of these different yeah. things. And luckily at least two of those orchestras were able to get some of the grants from the, from the federal government. So, 
you know, they're, they're at least not completely out, but there's a hell of a lot of people out there who, uh, you know, they are worried about, you know, things yeah. right now, like what's going to happen in the next month. So right. I love the fact that we have this technology and we're able to do this, but it's also, I keep having to kind of remind myself that, you know, that's ensconced in the sense of, of being thankful for the situation that we're in. I think composers are going to take a delayed hit. I think a lot of us are working in academic situations or a combination that's helping us float through right now. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago that ASCAP just released a, um, we got our checks. We did, I did too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So ASCAP just released a message saying not only are we still paying, we had to delay the payment, but we paid in full everyone and we paid more in 2019 uh, for 2018 um, than we did in previous years. We were able to give you more and uh, and we don't know what is going to happen moving forward, but they put together a lovely, you know, bit of information for people who are worried but obviously all of these canceled concerts are going to result in abysmal yeah. royalties next year yep. and um and you know they know that and they're aware and they're going to address it but the combination of out of work musicians leading to canceled commissions leading to fewer royalties is going to impact us low and slow you know it's it's low impact right now for some of us not all of us but for some of us and um, the future is what scares me. And as someone who graduated in 2010 into an abysmal economy and is heading into, you know, what are supposed to be my best, my highest earning working years, which is laughable <laughs> is, is right now. Is that a now. thing? Um, yeah, that's you know, funny. <laughs> our, our particular little band of age group is getting fucked. <laughs> and, uh, and I worry about that long term. But right now, you know, I think... I think, yeah, Rob's point about being at least partially one foot in the door academics of, of academics is, is, you know, floating us for a little while. Of course, like Garrett, Andrew and I are contingent, so we have received the we're not sure if we want you next semester letter. Um, and while I'm sure the comp area will need us because we've got plenty of students. I'm, I'm seeing Rob Deemer's expression right now that, that indicates a the, positive. Uh, the, uh, Insert deep nod here. Yeah, yeah. The you know university at large is trying to save as many dollars as possible. And they're trying to take that out of the adjunct um, budget. And so we know that, that they're doing everything possible to make sure we're not needed. And our colleagues are making sure they do everything possible to make to let the university know that we are (laughs) so it's a it's a fun tug of war i think in a lot of in a lot of respects not just that particular but uh i think this is shining a light on some very very interesting scenarios and um things that we'll kind of have to grapple with as a society moving forward which is I, i don't take me the wrong way it's kind of fun to to be alive during uh, I see that face Rob McClure uh, it's got to, it's kind of fun to be alive don't say something stupid during a time in which society <laughs> you can tell we're married right in which society is kind don't of forced to, don't say to have a little don't bit of a reinvention stupid. I think so I'd be interested uh, in talking about the fall um, I hope since uh, I'll, I'll call for this that n- clean segue out of whatever it is I just said <laughs> yeah Andrew to Andrew transfer we got this like subliminal thing. <laughs> going on well in the in this next segment that i like to call reckless speculation um, (laughs) (laughs) wait 
wait, we usually save That's that a good point. The next, uh, Should we tease it and come right, come right back? <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's tease it and come back. I do it. need another beer. And we'll be back. <laughs> And while we get a drink, let's listen to Rob Diemer's trombone quartet, Shock and Awe. This is the first movement, Spin Cycles. If you like what you hear and want to pick up the score or many other scores like it from the other Adjective Composers Collective members, head over to adjectivenewmusic.com. Um, so, Cherie, you're you're back, and what is this? What is this concoction you have? All right, this was an accident about a week and a half ago, and it's been quite <laughs> quite the happy little accident. Yeah. Um, it is two shots of tequila. Now, I tend to be a Patron woman, but I had kind of a hankering for Cabo Wabo, so this is a Cabo Wabo. Mm. Two shots of tequila, one shot of Grand Marnier. And then that, with ice in the glass, that fills it up about three quarter. Mm. And then I add, and in that leftover distance, I put half limeade and half mango nectar. Oh. What it does is it sort of just smooths the whole thing out. Yeah. (laughs) That's without being too sweet. So so you don't realize you're getting drunk at all. Right. That's now that's the problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of these, and I'm like, this is great. I can have another one. Two of them, and I'm screwed. <laughs> Where did my knees go? Where did my knees go? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh-huh. That's funny. Well, it can be. Okay, yeah, so. Totally. Yeah. Wait, hang on now. I'm going to jump in for just a hot second. So, Andrew, yeah, please. hold that thought. Okay. But earlier you mentioned, you know, guest artists and everything. And I didn't really say anything at that time because I had a guest artist planned for the year. And then I continued to have that guest artist. So this was not because of COVID that I, that I asked a guest artist in. But Jamie worked with my kids this past Saturday. We spent, what, like an hour and a half together? Mm-hmm. So, and they, they all bought a string quartet of hers, and we spent some time studying that string quartet and what she did, and then, you know, the kind of typical path. I had them all ask some questions, and they Jamie came. errors in the score. <laughs> as, as students are leave it to high school excited students. about that, too. I, I love when that happens. I'm sure he was. Oh it's my always the way it goes. But, Jamie, what I haven't had a chance to tell you is, as I've seen each of them one by one this week, oh, yeah. all of them have said they loved that time with you. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad yeah. because I remember to get up on Saturday morning and be presentable for high school students. And I didn't swear at all. <laughs> As frequent well. listeners will know, that's a feat in and of itself. Fuck off. 
Jamie is the yeah. reason we're explicit on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was fantastic. And it's it's been great because I I haven't been part of anyone's teaching curriculum until this year. And then I know that Rob McClure's students have been listening to two different songs of mine. And Cherie's students have been listening to different oh. movements of the string quartet. Well, right, but they they also I also had you on my listening list this. Um, so not only I had my Sweet. freshman students uh, listening to songs of yours, but I also had my entire studio listen to, um, the one you wrote for Amanda, the first one, Body Electric. Body Electric, yeah. yeah. So. I remember I remember that day you were days. like you were like oh my SoundCloud uh yeah. stats just took a bump in Athens Ohio <laughs> like 60 listens in a week means somebody accidentally put me on a playlist I do not belong on <laughs> Oh wait no these are actually all legit <laughs> Cuz that did happen last year my new requintet ended up on a rap listening list or playlist that, that, as that it should be, be. Awesome. It was hilarious. What a joyful surprise like 67 yeah. listens of two seconds of the piece. <laughs> I thought they'd at the least hell is like this? a minute and a half in and go, man, when are the lyrics going to drop? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When's the beat, when, when's the drop coming? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea how it ended up there, but I was like, what funny. is this weirdness? But no, yeah, so I thought this a similar thing happened when both of your sets of students listened to the body electric and the first movement of diaphanous peripheries in one week. I was like... I broke it. I broke SoundCloud. I, I'm going to have to f- fix my account or something. Somebody stole my identity. Oh, no, this is, this is legit. That's adorable. This is legit. Well, they, they loved it. And, and I'll tell you, I don't know if you guys are running into this, but when I'm teaching one-on-one private lessons, they all turn their cameras on and it's not a problem. But when I'm having a group thing, whatever that might be, it's about 50-50 as to who will turn their cameras on or not turn their cameras on. I find that a very exhausting thing. Yeah. I don't quite know how to react. I feel like I'm lost in a void. And when Jamie was working with the kids, I would say we had like three of the 11 of them, maybe, maybe four of them had their cameras off. And if they had a question, they'd pop their camera on. Mm-hmm. But even the ones with their camera off, it's not that they were not engaged. In fact, they're some of the ones who loved it the most. They just didn't want to be seen in that moment. Yeah. I did have a group chat with some of my students, and I was like, oh, you are not used to being on camera yet. Um, <laughs> There's I, a learning was, curve. It There's was basically curve. just like they were on mute, but I've never watched someone silently eat their breakfast. <laughs> it was weird. It was weird. And then I suddenly had a really... Like enhanced cat ass in front of someone's cat walked across the keyboard. Is, is that the first? And I don't know why my screen popped to that one, but yeah, it was. It was. Oh my god, that's hysterical! That needs to be a background. Is um <laughs> is that the first time someone has in, used the phrase enhanced cat ass? <laughs> Is, that, is there somebody at the NSA who's going to listen to this podcast and enhanced cat ass is going to like enhanced interrogation? No, enhanced cat ass. That's what, that's what we hear. He's, I'm sorry. He's been watching too much oh, Good Wife. Oh, Good Wife. Yes, yes. <clears throat> um, 
Yeah, no, it's been, that that part's been interesting. But yeah, all your students looked put together and like they were expecting to have a Zoom conversation on a Saturday morning at nine and it was great. And also like the time zones. Oh my God. There was one yeah. student in India, two, yep. one in China, one in South Korea, if I'm remembering That's right. correctly. That's right. Uh, China's the same as us, but 12 hours. So, you know, right. what is it? 9.30 p.m. So it's 9.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. for them. My South Korean student, it's 10.30 a.m., so one hour ahead of that. The one that's hard for me is the one where I have to do math. My student in India is nine and a half hours ahead Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. What the hell is I re- that? I remember that nine weird time. Yeah. I don't know, but I, but then I, it's like, I'm math. <laughs> I thought yeah. there were rules. <laughs> No, then no again, rules. we still have fucking right. daylight savings time. <laughs> right, right. Well, right. And no, it was it was awesome. I'm glad that they got something out of it because sometimes it's just like you log on and you're like, oh look, there's errors in my score. And yes, I was thinking about boats while I wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> don't you don't you love that when you're using your own your your own material or your own piece as a as a teaching tool and you look back and you're like, oh, I remember. Yeah, I did this and that. Let, let's get that out. Oh shit! Don't look at the notation for this piece <laughs> because it sucks, and I'm totally doing the things I tell you not to do. Yeah. Try this one on for size. I'm a flute player, and I had a piece being played by the Interlochen Orchestra, and the piccolo player comes up to me in my theory class. He's one of my students, and he says, <laughs> "He looks, he looks like he does not want to be there." Yep. And he is hemming and hawing, he's Dr. Van Manen kind of a thing. And finally I said, out with it. What do you want to ask me? And he says, do, do you know that the piccolo doesn't go below a D? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> And for those of you listening, I just smacked my forehead. I'm like, yes, I actually do in yes, fact know that. Mom. You know what? I can't. Oh, flat piccolo. God. Yeah, finishing large ensemble scores to being an octopus trying to like fix all of the you know you have to fix so many things at a time that there's a really strong possibility you're gonna fuck up your own instrument's part just because it's not because you're paying less Less attention attention to to that yeah i know how to do that i got that two bassoons in everything there's 60 other people at minimum you know like i want to make sure violin two is solid Right. Bassoon 2 is going to have to hold on. <laughs> Honestly, though, that's why I'm grateful I'm a percussionist, because we're just making it up anyways. And so yes. it doesn't matter. Like, the fact that it's not tab is, like, a good thing, like, for percussion parts. And, and if you haven't cut and pasted the flute part to the piccolo part uh-huh. without checking, yeah. Yeah. you have you're really not a composer. You right? haven't composed. Uh, right. Damn it. We've uh, all done it at least yes. once. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love And in my defense, in that instance, I, I knew when the minute I looked at it, I knew I, I wanted them to play the same thing in octaves, but then I knew I was going to have to adjust the piccolo part like up at this one break. And I never. Isn't that it just enough, though, you know, to just. It's, you know, there's, oh. that, there's that moment in, I think, Till Eulenspiegel's Lustige Streicher by Richard Strauss, where he calls on the violas to detune their lowest string so they can play a B like for two measures. Yep. What the hell? Yep. Yep. That's right. And yep. and this is like, you know, he's like, 
a pretty well-known composer. I think, I think yeah. we should start teaching classes on ego in composition because you know that was a moment where he was just like, "You will do this for me because I said so." You, you know what I'm? You know what I'm so happy. Or about? some performer somewhere said, "Oh, I got that. Oh yeah, I got you. I can do a that." A yes man performer. I meant oh, to, I meant to gosh. do that. I meant to do that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I got to take your meds today. Just admit your mistake. Most of uh, <laughs> most of y'all know that I'm teaching a, a seminar on George Crumb for the last few weeks here of the 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 digital distance remote learning semester. Um, but I have had such a, a trip, kind of kind of reinvestigating George Crumb and rediscovering all of the things I loved about uh, love about him and his music. Um, my favorite thing actually comes from uh, Garrett Schumann's article, right? That interview. My interview with him. Yeah. yeah. My favorite thing is when you asked him about the structure of Black Angels and the numerology specifically, and he went. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the numerology is really important for the structure. Couldn't really tell you what it means right now. <laughs> yes. you, you know what? I, where, where it's so it's so essential to how that piece is put together. But in the end, the stuff that he chose to talk about was not the structure. Thank God. Right. It's about the music that came out of that. And and that's a that flies in the face of many composers who say, oh, you know, you should be able to remember all of the details about how you created something. No, not no. Three semesters later. <laughs> You just gotta yeah, write them this down. Was like what? Fifty-five years right. after it was premiered, right. or something. Yeah, right. yeah, right. Yeah. So, uh, what was interesting? Yeah. One of my my favorite things about that interview, just to bring up something I I did that Andrew brought up before I did. But, I was gonna um, say you didn't bring it up, um, but uh, he's just making sure I don't teach about him and my new ego. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was before. It was before, like, the Kronos Quartet was going to play his piece, and I was like, you know, it's, like, so famous with all the theatrics and stuff yeah. that they do, and he was like, yeah, that I never really cared for that. And it's like, this piece has this whole personality, mm-hmm. this, like, public face that was put onto it by performers, and it's it's an important lesson in how musical meaning is variable and multifaceted and different people bring different things to it to it but it's such a famous piece that you're like and it's so it was so interesting to think that that element was nothing he thought about when he wrote it yeah so. that it's not on us as composers we don't have to be the wagner's and the you know the the gesamtkunstwerk kind of idea where we think about this entire art form thank god no, right like yeah. like other artists can have insight into the piece uh whether or not we like it it's no longer our responsibility yeah. right it's we no longer have have complete reign over it at least i think as a composer like agreed i agree harumph, with you harumph. <laughs> now now well no, a while ago I derailed Andrew Cody. I know. So yes. Andrew, I'm That's so okay. sorry. No, now I'm and, going on this and... this conversation, which is so fun. <laughs> because honestly, like I wonder how much of like, you know, the the composers who have passed away long, long ago that we kind of revere some of these stories about and how much of them are just folklore. And like if you actually had the opportunity to sit down in the room, like would they actually be that intentional? Like would Bach really be like, yeah, or like really as detailed, or would he be like, Oh, it, I, I had a deadline and I needed to crank out you know, shit that worked for me and it's going to work fast. You know, you guys, we're all part of a collective. We need a story. If something happens to me, (laughs) if coronavirus gets me, I want a certain legend to go out. What? And I mean, we should all write, Oh, we should swap, swap our little narrative. Yes. Yes. Write the story. 
and then tell one person in the collective where it's hidden. Like a like a secret Santa kind of thing? <laughs> kind of, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, but not white elephant. Spoiler <laughs> alert, it's probably hidden in Michigan somewhere. <laughs> I mean, where in your house? <laughs> Garrett, when did you do that interview with Crown? Um, I think it was in... It must have been in 2012 or 2013, maybe 2014. Yeah, I th- it, yeah 14 is sticking in my mind for some reason, but I, I can't remember okay. for sure. Just, just um, curious. Let me see if it's still on my computer. Probably not. Oh, we'll see if I'm right. Hold on. If, if it's not on yours, it's on mine. There's nothing better for radio oh. than waiting I, so at the for time people to I Google was things. Working, Go ahead. I was working for... Uh, I was working for UMS, the concert presenting organization in Ann Arbor that's associated with the University of Michigan. And yeah. I did a lot of it's a good I did a lot of interviews with, with people, which was which was super fun. I, I like to talk as anyone who's listens really? to the podcast knows. Um, it was it was two it was printed in 2014, so it was probably done in 2013. Okay. So gotcha. Um, cool. That's why fourteen was sticking yeah. in my head. But, uh, um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. I mean, he has the most alluring accent of anyone you'll talk to. I mean, I know Rob Deemer has the voice of God. George, the George Crumb has a different God. It's like a different God. <laughs> Southern maybe God. A cooler one. No offense. Very much so. Yeah. No, I've, I've, I've met George myself and, uh, uh, yeah, he's, to have uh, he he was a guest at when I was a doctoral student at University of Texas, and uh, to hear him talk not only at dinner but also to have him actually look at your music and and basically yeah. Yeah. and basically I, the only thing that sticks in my head was the fact you're like, well, I thought you were gonna be boring there. But then you weren't, and so I was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll take that as one of the one of the almighty compliments." Of, I did not bore George Crumb with my orchestra piece. Thank you very much. Ooh. But yeah, he's it's it's you know I think he's from West Virginia, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. Right, yeah. and and yeah, it's just like he is the last person who you would think to be a composer, and yet he's literally one of the most brilliant men ever to do it i i like where this is going let's all let's all tell a story of like a a weird interaction between like a you and a renowned composer does anyone else i have one Oh, I think everybody's got to have one. I've got a really Mine's fun one too. Inappropriate. Great. <laughs> of course, yours is inappropriate. Uh, Rob McClure, you start just, since you you lobbed up this particular sure. curveball. I've I, I mean I have two I could tell. Do you want to hear about Gunther Schuler or Frederick Shevsky? How about both? Because I also have two. Okay, so do it. Um, Gunther Schuler came to Rice and um. Wait, hold the phone. Did you go to Rice? Yeah, he went Wait, to Sherry, race. we covered this. When, like, have we covered yes. this? Shit, I was probably drunk. We covered this many <laughs> podcasts ago. We Sorry, man. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Welcome to Corona Times. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you, you, me, and, and Garrett are all Rice alumni in the collective. What up? Yeah, right? I know, right? Anyway. Um, Jamie, we need hand signs for Fredonia. Somebody get on that. <laughs> Well, it's an Did F, so should it, it just be like <laughs> flipping someone off? 
<laughs> anyway, I got there surely came to Rice. And I mean When did he come to Rice? Uh I think this was my last year there. So twenty thirteen. I think if I was not a student. Well, no, because you, and, you and left. This is like the part of Corona Tones when everybody asks Rob a question to delay his story. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> Let me know when um, you want Elmo to pop I hear up you went to Rice oh University. God, here we go. So uh he was coming in, you know, typical master class type setting. You know, four people are up there on stage with Gunther in this tiny classroom and pl- showing the score and playing the recording. And then, so I was smart in this instance. I wanted to go first. Um, and I went first and he hated my music. Fair enough. Um, he didn't really have anything good to say about it, but he didn't really say bad things about it hey there's a win all right hey that's yeah that's so then cut to the fourth person oh my god he just ripped this i he stopped short of ripping up the score like he he just crotchety old man like didn't want to be there didn't want to do this and just like had nothing good to say so that was my impression of gunther schuler Frederick Shevsky, um, he, this was when I was back at Bowling Green and uh, the Ken Thompson with the new music ensemble, we were doing a piece of Frederick Shevsky's that was, um, I think it was just called like rounds or something like that. Um, Might have a different title, but um, it's for like a large ensemble, but it's not really specified and it's like a handwritten score in his. Yeah freaking chicken scratch and you know we're all reading from the 75 pages of handwritten score and it's one of these pieces where play a then d then c then b then a then d then b then c then d then a then b then c then a then z you know one of these things so whatever alphabets he pulled out of the suit pretty much pretty much so we're playing it dan trampty is was uh in the percussion section with me and nice. we had it was all like found percussion so we're like well we need something big and resonant how about this empty beer keg <laughs> which was awesome <laughs> and like a bunch of other bullshit so we're pl- we're playing just shredding the piece and uh he comes into the dress rehearsal the night before this is on the new music uh festival he comes in the night before and he's just like he like he blew up at us in a very major way. And uh, Ken Thompson is just, as the conductor is just sitting there taking it, you know, yeah. like, okay. Yeah. Yep. He's a real good conductor yep. and rehearser. We'll, so we'll yeah. do that. Yep. Yep. We'll, we'll hit that. And he was like, Frederick Shevsky basically just threw up his hands and say, I don't even know if I want you to do this tomorrow. And then just walked out. Oh, diva. And Ken Thompson basically like put it, put his glass or took his glasses off, put his baton down and said, I'm going to Frickers. Anyone else who wants to join me, I will see you there. So typically Ken. The yep. next day, yep. we did the piece, Effusive Praise from Shevsky. Nice. Yeah. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. That's that's one of those cases where it's like, I, I genuinely like a lot of his music, but he is just a mm-hmm. horrible human being. 
yeah. you know, there's a there's a school of thought uh, from many composers, and I I know this. I, I can't say that this is uh, Zhevsky's um, um, mode of operation, but but I know a bunch of composers who have it that in a rehearsal setting nothing is right. <laughs> And in a performance setting, regardless of how the performance goes, everything was wonderful. Yeah. Did, mm. I, I don't know if any of you have encountered this kind mm. of this kind Sounds of. Sounds abusive uh, to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, yes. I I didn't say I was part of the camp that <laughs> definitely uh, it felt uh, that way as this a particular dog as a performer at that time. It definitely felt that way. Yeah. But yeah. So <laughs> those are my those are my two, I guess, interesting stories about. I mean, bad like bad stories. You know. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a good story. I'll just See? say that I had a wonderful lunch with Dai Fujikura when he was at the Bowling Green thing, only because of Michael Hall, the wonderful violist who yes. who must know Dai in some way. I saw Michael, he was going to lunch. We went to the um Balkan restaurant in Bowling Green, Bulgarian restaurant. Uh, Neslada? Oh, yeah, Neslada. Neslada, yeah. We went there. It was me, Di, so Michael Hall, and Michael Hall's father-in-law. And it was just a lovely time. And I got to use the picture of me with Dai Fujikura to impress some students of mine a few years later who <laughs> didn't think I had ever met him before. So um, that's my like Tangible evidence. I love yeah. it. That's my story. I mean, most BGSU New new Music Festival stories are, it happened there and it stays there, which is why most of my stories are inappropriate. Uh (laughs) It's like, you tell. Come on, come on. I want to hear your your two. All right, so so I have two, and they're both, I think, kind of funny. So the first one is about Chris Rouse. Ooh. Starting at Rice, when I was at Rice, this was when, now this is, this is going to date me, but this was when Rouse's recording with the Houston Symphony was happening with the flute concerto and his symphony number no. two under Eschenbach. Nice. And Rouse comes into town and he comes, to, and Carol Winsons, who's performing the flute concerto, is teaching at Rice, but she's like back and forth, Juilliard Rice, Juilliard Rice, right? So he comes in. And he's going to do a, a master class with the composers. And a friend of mine, who you guys might know, Scott McAllister, mm-hmm. is slated to pick him up at the airport. So all of this happens, and Chris Rouse, and we have the master class and wonderful recording, and Chris Rouse goes home. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'd like to analyze this flute concerto and have it as part of a paper that I'm working on for another class. So I send him an email and I said, would it be all right with you if I get the score to this? Because I'd like to analyze it. It's not even out yet. It's not published. Everything, even, even through the recording, everything was just what he was giving them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I come home one day to my little apartment and I'm sitting on the floor doing something and all of a sudden the phone rings and my ex-husband answers the phone and says, there's somebody on the phone for you, a guy named Chris. Who is this Chris guy? I said, I don't know. Who is it? So he says, who is it? He says, some guy named Chris Rouse. And I said, no, it's not. Get the fuck out of here. It was Chris Rouse. <laughs> Saying, yes, I will be happy to send you. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I, the whole time when I realized it really was him, I was like, I did, I thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Sorry. So that's that one. The other one is when I was at USC. 
um, I was at USC for their film composition program. And you're only there for a year in that program. And they bring in a lot of guest artists in the Hollywood industry, film, TV, whatever. One of our teachers, our regular teachers, was a guy named John Parker that a lot of people haven't heard of. But John Parker wrote a lot of the music, for example, for Dallas, the TV show Dallas. Hmm. Okay? And he taught us a class. I don't even remember what the class was. Um, but John Parker had tickets to the L.A. Phil. He had two tickets. And he would rotate taking students with him. Hmm. Okay? So you got to put a couple things together here in your head. So he, So the time I get to go to the L.A. Phil... They happen to be playing one of the Vaughn Williams symphonies. I don't remember which one. This was a long time ago. And I made a comment, probably something along the lines of, I really love the harmonies and the string writing of Vaughn Williams. Very astute. Well, Very astute. Thank you. I thought so myself. But so, so later in the year... He's got a friend of his who's very into new age stuff and crystal reading and stuff that's not my thing personally. And and the whole class, about 10 of us, are sitting here listening to his friend talk about how you can divine your inspiration for the music from the muses that are going to inspire you. And the whole class is sitting there with their arms crossed like this. We're like, yeah, yeah, get on with it. What have you got to tell us? Nobody is very impressed by this guest, okay? But then the guy asked me a question, and it had to do with when I was born and a composer that I admired. So I, again, happened to mention, I, I wasn't thinking about the L.A. Phil concert, okay? But I happened to mention the string writing of Vaughn Williams. I guess I was into it at that time. And this guy and Parker decided that because of when Von Williams died and when I was born and the amount of time that had passed, that I am the reincarnated spirit of Rafe Von Williams. <laughs> I believe it. And it explains everything. It. Yeah. My ex-husband thought I looked better now than I did. That's, that's, that's fantastic. Okay, that's good. Where is this guy? I mean, like... I love wow. It. I love it. Wow. Yeah. Right. Okay, really tough to follow, but I want to chime in with some fun composer stories. I've got two. Okay, so story, just real brief. This one's kind of short, but um, in 2015, um, at uh, the Kennedy Center, um, Philip Glass... Uh, uh, premiered or well the the opera company there pr premiered a revised version of a Philip Glass opera uh, Appomattox which was written in 2007 mm. it's like a 90 minute work and he revised it as a 160 minute work so um, anyways I'm there and I brought my <laughs> wife who I've been married to for a year and I'm like oh we're going to an opera she's a non-musician and I was like oh it's just it's an opera all excited go not great. realizing yeah Anyways, um, yeah, so anyways, uh, I go there, and I'm like, oh, man, I hope Philip Glass is here. I hope Philip Glass is here. And sure enough, I'm, like, spending more of the time looking around trying to see if I can find him. And, you know, there's a break, and uh, sure enough, he's down by the front. Um, so I tell my wife, I, I really want to go down afterwards and, and shake his hand. You know, and she's like, why would you do that? Never really understood. Um, just kind of just the, the, the geeking out, and I wanted to go geek out. Yeah. 
So uh, the show ends, and and I go down, and I, no one's around him, which I'm baffled by. Like, nobody's around him at all. Um, he's just kind of there, like somebody else who's just, you know, kind of waiting for the crowds to dissipate. And I go, uh, Mr. Glass, it's it's so good to meet you. Um, thank you, uh, you know, for all the work that you've done and for, for this piece. And he goes, oh, well, thank you very much. And then he points to the guy next to him, and he goes, this, this is the librettist, <laughs> like, to, to introduce him. So not only did I, you know, I blew the fact that I didn't know the librettist, but it was also standing right next to him. Um, so then, like, I'm like, okay, well, this is good. I'm I'm okay at making small talk with composers. I'll just say, like, thank you and, and see you later. And then Philip Glass looks at me with the most intimate eye contact I've ever made with a human being other than probably my <laughs> wife and, like, my parents when I was first born. Um, and he looks at me and he asks the most interesting question I think I've ever been asked by somebody. Um, and he looks at me and he says, did you hear what you expected when you first came? And like my what? heart sinks. Cause I'm like, this is such a good question. <laughs> and Panic an impossible mode. question to answer with like any form of, okay, this is, this is going to be something that this man wants to hear. So naturally I respond with like, yeah, it was, it was really good. Well, and you know, and just like the usual stammering nonsensical kind of response. And then I walked away with my, my tail between my legs but that was my encounter meeting Philip Glass, which was kind of fun. So when we were getting married, okay, this is, we didn't actually meet him at this point, but um, I, I had to like organize how people were going to get to our wedding. And this one carload ended up being really, really just fucking random. And it was some friends in our, of ours. <laughs> now I remember what story you're telling. <laughs> it was some friends of ours from Bowling Bowling Green were driving out, but they were like stopping along the 90 corridor and they picked up the best man and they picked up my brother. And I called my brother a few weeks before and he's he's two and a half years younger than me. Um, I called my brother before this car trip and I said, okay, you're going to meet a couple friends of mine. They're doing you a favor. Okay, so behave. But they're also really weird. So one of them can't stop talking about video game music. It will be the only topic that he talks about. And the other one... He can pivot back to that topic from anywhere. <laughs> from anywhere. <laughs> huh? um, and the other one is going to play some weird music. So my brother arrives at our wedding and like stumbles sideways out of the car like he had just been smacked upside the head. And he gives me a hug and he said, what the fuck was that? <laughs> They had been listening to Einstein and the Beach from Bowling Green all the way to the St. Lawrence River. It's a 10-hour drive. (laughs) It's just like, like, played oboe in high school, but he hasn't listened to a damn note I've written ever. (laughs) And and certainly not glass. So it was quite hilarious. It's still one of the, maybe one of the most hilarious moments of our wedding weekend. And both of our dads almost didn't make it to the ceremony. Wow. So, you know, like it's really saying something. It really ranks right up. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So I, I, I'm going to follow along and I'm going to have two composer stories, uh, but I'm going to change it up a little bit because one is directly mine and the other is indirectly uh, <laughs> me associated with this. So I'll do the one that's directly mine first. Um, Mark Adamo. Uh, Mark Adamo's operas, you know, I'm going to be honest, I've worked for an opera company for a couple years as a, as an intern. Um, and I, you know, when I was there, I would be 
part of the library. Part of my job was like cleaning up the library, checking out scores, photocopies, all these things. That Both were, of us did it. Um, yeah. And so uh, I, I, of course, I'm pulling off these scores by a composer I had no idea about as a young student. I'm like, well, who's this Mark Adamo person who's got all this music here? So I'm looking through like Little Women and, and like looking at things and I'm listening and I'm like, yeah, wow, holy crap. This has got to be the fastest like text setting for non-patter song kind of music that I have ever seen and heard in my life and I just wasn't really I wasn't all that into it to be honest it, it was not something that really resonated with me uh, fast forward a, a few years um, and I'm teaching at Fredonia and I think Rob was this when you were on sabbatical this might have been when when it was yeah. it was I was able to actually come back that weekend when he was here but so so Mark Adamo this is the first time that I have actually laid eyes on uh the actual person that is mark adamo he speaks so fast yeah. <laughs> and i'm a new yorker right i'm like so i i'm not i'm not averse to f- where, where is he from What's well he i mean from? he he definitely uh is he from new york originally i think he is i think he Googling. is Googling. Oh, i love it read that he's internet. definitely been there for a long a while a long while he was born in Philadelphia. Close enough. Close enough. Right? So, so I mean, he, I swear to God, I'm having trouble keeping up with what it is he's saying. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm part of the entourage that's kind of taking him around to different places. And it suddenly clicked with me. I'm like, oh, my God, everything makes sense. No, you set music, you set lyrics exactly how you would say them. This is this is. And so that was one of those those moments where it's like, no, no, I totally get this. And now yeah. listening back at those pieces that I couldn't get into, I can't not hear him. And oh, that's yeah. that's kind of awesome. After having that experience, yeah. like talking yeah. to him in real life, yeah. do you find his music now slow? Uh, <laughs> to, to be honest, yes. Well, well, and he had written, he's written another opera since then. And he was out for yeah. the, the yeah. weekend because the Western New York Chamber Orchestra was performing little women mm-hmm. and he, but he brought with him to the composition seminar, his new opera at the time, um, becoming Santa Claus, becoming Santa. And it is very much, I, I mean, like, little women is a classic story. Most of us know it, but becoming Santa was able to show his personality a little bit more. And like the elf characters in it are just like, just effusively, projecting Mark, Mark yeah. um, and yeah, I, I like he and I are about the same height and I had to, you know, we had to keep up with him around campus. It was, I was exhausted, like just walking next to him, just exhausting. Um, but in a good way. Okay. Second, second story real quick. And then I'll relinquish the microphone to whoever else has a fun, a fun tale to regale us with. This one is not, this is I'm tangential to, uh, but it, it falls within our minimalist discussion. So yeah. not Philip Glass, but Steve Reich. All right. And so uh, Steve Reich is uh, giving a master class at a, a college that a friend of mine is a graduate student currently, right? Uh, uh, at the time. And uh, I get a random text message at like 1130 at night from a slightly intoxicated friend uh, who says, well, I just had the biggest no shit moment of my life in a master class. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, do you want to unpack that for me? He says, sure. I had a master class with Steve Reich. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying wow. 
my friend is very much at the time was very involved with like the neo-romantic kind of trends that were happening. And so he's, he's writing, he's (laughs) writing these long, oh, I just hit the microphone. Um, He's writing these long phrases and these huge sections. I mean, his piece is just going on forever, but with all these colors and, and okay. All right. So it's very neo-romantic. Um, apparently from, from what my friend says, the master class consisted of the the two of them going through his score and listening to a recent recording that they'd had. And Reich was like, yeah, you know, you got a lot of really good ideas in this. Like, like these are some really neat ideas. You know, if it were me, I would have just taken this idea right here. I would have done that for a while. I'm going to stop the story there because... <laughs> I had a I had a similar experience with uh, Michael Gordon in a lesson. Oh, where yeah. The piece it was I was a I think maybe a first year master student at Michigan and he and he came and I I wrote this this chamber piece and there was like one like four bar section that was like all sixteenth notes and he was like why didn't you just repeat that? <laughs> I love it. So. <laughs> Why didn't you do the thing that I do? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my only appropriate story that actually has to do with interaction is not with a composer directly. Um, bringing it back to Kronos. Um, oh. We did, Andrew and I both went out to Fresno, California in 2008, I think. Yeah. For a summer yes. workshop. And Kronos did a series of, of uh, master classes with us. And it was it was a really hilarious experience and I still, we're still really good friends with a bunch of people we met out there, but it was just like this random thing in Fresno. Nothing wrong with Fresno. It's a dry heat. (laughs) (laughs) I want everybody to know. (laughs) I thought you were, I thought you were about to say it was a dry heave. Oh, oh, uh, there you go. Indian food. It was, we had some good eating while we were out there. But anyways, um, so, so I, my masterclass, they split all of us up. Anybody who had written for strings could submit a piece. And I hadn't written for string quartet at that point, but I had written for violin. So I submitted my violin and piano piece and I got paired with John Sherba, who's played second violin for ever. Right. And I was like, wow, you know, in all of the pictures, John looks like the most stern personality. Um, I was a little bit nervous about my master class and they walked in to the building and John was like my favorite uncle. He's nodding his head, like greeting everybody. So happy. Turns out he's in charge of where they eat for all of the trips because he is the best at finding like the weirdest, most delicious restaurants in town. I had the best masterclass with him. And I was just like, wow. Well, you know, PR shots really don't tell you everything. The story. Everything. They all had kind of different roles. And his was finding the food. And I was like, we can do business. (laughs) I mean, if if PR shots did tell you everything, David Lang should be under arrest for murder. (laughs) Because he looks so intense in his pictures. Oh, man. I don't know. I think mine is particularly honest. Because I was in the middle of sassing my photographer about where he was standing and he took a picture of me and that is my current headshot. Like, 
there's some truth in advertising, and it's Jamie gives photographers a hard time, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's all I got. But John is maybe the friendliest person who takes very stern pictures I've ever met. So that's my that's my contribution. Garrett, when you bring up uh, David Lang, uh, mm-hmm. one time I just like walk through Yale's music building. Not that I would ever audition or try to audition there. Um, but I went up to David Lang's door in Yale, and it felt really spooky because of his headshot. <laughs> like, I imagined his sh- headshot on the other side of this door in this dark corridor with David Lang marked up on the, uh, on the title of it. Man. It should be like a composer comic book, you know? Like, <gasps> David Lang is the villain or something. So good. <laughs> Rob, did we, Deemer, did we hear one from you? I don't think so. Uh, I can give. Uh, there are so many, uh, <laughs> but I can I can give uh, a quick twofer. Give the least incriminating um, ones. <laughs> oh well. Hey, oh, that's no fun. Hey, We've already had two drinks. <laughs> Jump right in. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if I can think of any incriminating ones off the top of my head, but since uh, Cherie brought up USC. I also went through the film scoring program at USC, and it was also a goodly long time ago. I hey, did you have John Carter? I can't remember. Were you before or after me? I don't know. I was there in 91. Yeah, okay. So I was there in 95, 95, okay. 96. So Parker wasn't okay. there. Uh, but um, one of the... You know, because I was out there in Los Angeles for three years, but uh, the the first year I was there, I was I went through the USC program, and I got to meet a lot of people, and it was all fun, and there was a lot of adventures. But two two of the things that really kind of uh, stuck with me, which ultimately kind of had to do with my decision to leave Los Angeles and go back and get my master's. A, to actually learn how to compose, but also uh, to, you know, that film scoring might not be the, the uh, career path I was, I was necessarily interested in um, because we were able to, we, we had an entire semester with Elmer Bernstein, Ooh. which was awesome. And we also got a chance to each of us, because there was about 13 in the group, uh, each of us got a chance to play, uh, basically have a masterclass with Jerry Goldsmith. Ooh. Oh, man. Yeah. Which That's, is yeah. like, y'all, yeah. let's just say. Okay, wait, did you have Henry Mancini? Uh, Hank, Hank actually, I think, passed before I got hey. there. Uh, but I knew all about him. I, I wish I could have met him. Uh, but but what was fascinating about both of these these gentlemen is like when we did the masterclass with Goldsmith, which was just like beyond like, you know, you can't imagine that you're in the same room with the guy. Um, but he's talking to us about what his career was at that point. And he was probably in the mid in his mid 70s at this point. It was a few years yeah. before he passed. And he was still stressed out about whether or not he was going to get the next gig. That's wild. Yeah. That is wow. so wild. Right? And this is like so, mid-90s. So he talked to us too, and it was the same yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. I feel like and, uh, part of every freshman seminar in composition. Oh. <laughs> yes. Well, and it was even more fascinating because. You're going to be 70 and you're telling me anxious. <laughs> no, seriously, this is great. And, I'm just going to play we, this podcast I for my can't. freshman. Did someone just break this to you, Andrew? No. I've been cuddling Elmo so over here. you might as well drink, I'm, man. You might as well drink. This is my safety net over here. 
Wait, you can't just make a lot of money one time and be good forever? <laughs> what? Oh my goodness. So, and then was even more interesting was, so we had an entire semester with Elmer and we did a couple projects with him. And one of the things that he did was he brought in uh, a number of times, because we met with him once a week and, and uh, he brought in this new score that he was working on. And I'm, it's not dead man walking. It's dead man something. It's with Bruce Willis. It was kind of a, um, uh, it was an old West. It was a Western that Bruce Willis was in and he was writing the score for it. Um, and uh, it was fascinating because he would, he would bring us, he would bring us clips and he would bring us scores and he would bring us the recording that he did with the full orchestra. And it was massive. And it was Elmer Bernstein right in your face, both barrels. <laughs> <laughs> and fast forward like two or three months and uh and and the film came out with a score by Ry Cooter. Oh and and so you know so ba yeah basically the 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 director's thought they were like well we'll get elmer bernstein because he's really famous you know uh magnificent seven and all of this but then they basically tried to get him to do something that was much more modern right. and he gave him he gave them an elmer bernstein score because right. he's elmer fucking bernstein as you do and Ry Cooter of course is doing much more of like guitars and you know just really whacked out stuff uh there in the in the mid 90s and yeah it was fascinating but the really interesting part of that was that the studio because the the film studios and the recording studios at least back then I'm sure it is now today too they were they usually the film studio also like they would they would publish their film scores through one of the recording studios, uh, you know, the big recording arms that, that the studios were, were in partnership with. They also published Bernstein's score. <laughs> so even though they didn't like they, he had recorded the entire bloody thing. Oh my God. Wow. Forced, forced Cooter to write a new score, like in probably <laughs> a week yeah. or two. Yeah. yeah days. <laughs> And then made money off of both fucking scores. Capitalism. <laughs> and that's and that's that's Hollywood for you. But it was also fascinating just to see how both these two giants. I mean, it would literally be like if you're like there meeting, I don't know, Stravinsky and Schoenberg in the same room. Right? And you're like, oh wow, so this is what you're like. Um and <laughs> And to see both of these in their 70s still having trouble with their careers. And yeah, yeah you know, and so it was it was just it was a fascinating window into into a thing. And I love the fact that uh, many of my friends and colleagues are out there doing the thing. And it was also kind of a nice little thing. We're like, yeah, I'm not sure if that's that's where I want to be. So the movie, the movie was Last Man Standing. Last man standing. Uh, yes, yes. All right. So I have a follow up question. When you were in class after 
the Bernstein score was X'd. Did he say anything about it? What was the... See, the problem was it came out in the summer after the... Because we had him in class in the spring. So we never actually got to ask him about it. But he talked... I remember he did bring up one of his other scores. Because at that point, that was not his first score that had gotten canned. Like there were, I, I guess if you do that enough, it's going to happen to you many times anyway. But, uh, he originally did the score to river runs through it, oh, really? which, oh, wow. really? which has, which has a wonderful score by Mark Isham. Mm. That sounds nothing yeah, like say, Elmer Bernstein. Not Bernstein right, yeah. right. But it was so funny because he was like, oh, yeah. You know, he, 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 I remember he brought it up in class one time because he's like, oh, everybody wants to have, uh, oh, I don't know how to, I'm going to butcher the name, Ullian Pipes, uh, the Irish bagpipes that you don't actually have drones with. Yeah. But, but, Aisha used in in that score and and I think that was kind of like the in sound and so I think he was kind of like well fucker Aisha used this bag you know Irish bagpipe so he he stole it from him but it was it was it's really fascinating to kind of once you dig under the surface because all of those decisions are made before the film comes out and many times you have no idea all of the politics and all of the decisions that are being made why this score gets thrown thrown out and another person comes Man, in but so. why why is that not a thing where like in the yeah. dvd special features you get the same film released with oh, multiple man. different scores oh, that's a that good would be point. so great with the other so score. so the one so the one one you want to look for the there's a very very famous example of that is 2001 mm-hmm. because yeah. 2001 was originally scored by yeah. alex north who also did the music for streetcar yeah. named desire and uh, all sorts of Cleopatra and all these other things. Um, but they originally brought him in to do the score. And then uh, Kubrick loved his own temp score so much with the yep. Strauss yep. and the Ligeti. And of course he didn't tell Ligeti that he was going to put his score in <laughs> as you do. Right. So, so, yeah. but North still recorded all like he still had this entire score. And so it has subsequently been recorded. I think it was actually conducted by Goldsmith, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, where they recorded it. That's and then cool. I think there's actually a version out there of 2001 with the Alex oh, North. I, I know there's, at, been... there's at least a soundtrack of it. And there may actually be a version of 2001 with yeah, the Alex North. I think score. I've watch seen party it advertised right like as a concert thing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't doubt Probably. it. Sure. Yeah, I could get that. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. Isn't it's it? it's really wow. good times. <laughs> this, this was a fun trip down memory lane. Yeah, I'm not Hollywood. Well, you have a second story, and I have a second story. So, do you want to have a joust off for our second stories? Oh. You're taking the cake though for winning right now. So, I kind of feel like I need to go as like a like a intermezzo, like a nice little buffer, medium <laughs> medium level story. For a nice buffer before we get a, a another Deemer bomb, which are just phenomenal. phenomenal. Oh, go for it. <laughs> well, it was fun because we were, we were talking earlier about another David composer. So I wanted to talk about David Maslanka for a moment. Yes. That's a good one to Ooh. talk yeah. about. Mas- I, don't Maslanka get Maslanka is, stories is, that often. Yeah, All right. I, I've had a handful of times to just interact with him, and he was just one of the sweetest guys ever. 
Um, one of my first interactions, though, with them was uh, when I was at the University of New Hampshire for my undergraduate. We had the opportunity to record a CD of his wind ensemble music. And uh, we recorded uh, his seventh symphony, which is kind of a fun piece. Um, and uh, so the third movement of the piece and what's setting up this is is marked literally very fast. It has some of the fastest, at least in the percussion section, we're, we're working pretty hard and, and we're cooking along tempo-wise. Like, my adrenaline is pumping. Like, I'm a huge sports fan, as many of the <laughs> adjective people make fun of me for. Um, and so, like, this is, like, as athletic as music got for me in, in many moments. Nice. So, anyways, um, so we finish up uh, the third movement. We're about 25, uh, 30 minutes into. This is our full first full run-through of the Seventh Symphony. You know, the way we, we tracked this was we, we did a full take, and then we'd go back and say, okay, you know, we, we missed this entrance or that entrance. So first full take of this with David Mazlanka in, in, in the audience and uh, listening and the recording engineers, and that's it. Um, so we're 30 minutes, 25, 30 minutes in or so. We just finished this high adrenaline movement. And the fourth movement starts with uh, just meditation bowl alone. So like a, a meditation bowl, and you strike it, rings for 20 seconds, strike it a second time, rings for 20 seconds, third time, rings for 20 seconds. So we're like hearts pounding. We're finally at the fourth movement here. And my friend Eben Hearn, uh, who's in the percussion section with me, uh, goes to play the meditation bowl. And he starts playing it. And all of a sudden, David Mislanka stands up and goes, stop. And stops the, the run through and the recording session. Oh, no. And we're like, oh, my gosh. Like, uh, do we screw up the third movement? Like, we worked really hard rehearsing this. Like, what do we do? <laughs> and David Mislanka walks up on stage and he goes, I'm really sorry to stop you, but you're playing the meditation bowl incorrectly. What you're doing is you're <laughs> striking the bowl outwards and you're releasing the positive energy away from yourself. And in fact, you need to strike the bowl inwards so that way you're receiving the positive energy oh, from the bowl. Jesus Christ. Okay, I don't understand what that He means. doesn't either, I guarantee you. Put that out you. there right now. That is an awesome <laughs> That is awesome. Good lord. That's the Your chi was not <laughs> aligned. It. And we're playing like dun 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 yeah. dun dun yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. just notes. And, notes yeah. and notes. And he would have yeah. none of it. That's what he cared about. <laughs> That's the whole thing of like, you know, a conductor or a composer tells you, no, 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 you're doing that wrong. You, you should do it this way. And you do it the exact same way. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like fascinating yes i played it inward and that makes a difference on the recording uh-huh. yeah other little side note on Mislanka. the next time oh i got God. to see him was uh in 2012 and he had written a piece for jordan luloff who's the son of joe luloff who's a saxophone professor at uh, michigan state um and it was a solo saxophone alto saxophone piece and piano so big commissioned work 32 minutes or something along those lines and the piece wow. piece was called tone studies and it was premiered in a small little chapel in east lansing michigan you know, there's maybe 25, 30 people there, including David Mislanka. And uh, he played, I think it was Mountain Roads, like another big, like, Mislanka saxophone, like, monstrosity of a sax quartet with lots of activity. Um, and he just wrote this piece for a high school senior who's studying, you know, presumably with his dad and, and learning all that saxophone repertoire. And um, it was mostly just at long tones. And, uh, and you know, DSERA said a couple different ways. And it was a gorgeous, stunning piece. But, you know, for a saxophonist who wants to, like, shred and, and play all these different notes, <laughs> it was this beautiful, like, really sweet 
piece. So I, I just, I don't know. I've got, a, I've, I have such a space in my heart for, for that man and his. Now the seventh symphony, the seventh symphony. I'm trying to. I know that in at BG we we did something of Maslanka's. Probably four. All four I can was rem- pretty popular. That's the like jazzier kind four of one. Four is a popular one. Two is also pretty popular. Yeah. Well, I just remember this, like you know, as I'm sure I don't, I don't know that much about Maslanka. I don't listen to him, but um, I remember what? What? <laughs> what? Rob, 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 Rob doesn't strike you as a band composer kind of guy. <laughs> Oh my god. Anyway, um I just no I just remember no in the um I just remember being in the percussion percussion section and I had the like the marimba part or something. Oh yeah, bless you. Jesus Christ. It's just like 30 second note arpeggiations on all white notes. Any percussionist will know that is a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to piggyback off you if you don't mind, because Meslanka was a clarinetist. No. Okay. Yes. Yes. And what? I swear to God, in many of his symphonies, I'm looking at the clarinet part going, that's right out of the Behrman book. That's like, these are scale exercises. <laughs> like, I, and, Okay, and that's funny. Like, it is like, oh my God. And it, 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 it's one of those things where it's like, of course, uh, as, as a clarinetist, you would expect a certain degree of uh, idiomatic writing, but he has that lovely part with the barrel uh, alone, right? You take the, the barrel off the clarinet, it's just barrel and mouthpiece, and you got your pinky control. It's like a slide whistle kind of thing, right? Um, but yeah, he, I, I believe he was a clarinetist, and uh, he also picked some of the most gnarliest kind of passages for the clarinets to kind of work through, but in a very kind sure of atypical well he tried to transfer that same shit onto the marimba and it doesn't work i just started learning his bassoon sonata last week and it is exhaust i started learning the third movement and it is exhaust there are notes there's an unaccompanied flute piece that i adore and i pull it out every now and then and go through it and yeah and then pass out right pretty much (laughs) yeah was there well was there friends, another Rob Deemer story though? I feel is like there? there was. I thought you hit both of them. Did he did he Well t- I, I should check with Rob to see how we're doing on time because I uh, I mean time there are stories and there are stories. Oh my god, nice okay. deferment. There are no times. I have times. a fussy baby that I have to deal with. That's Aww. fair. That is fair. I so. could tell that Garrett's Garrett's so getting long, I I, I just, in have another Good but night. I could I could just leave and then you all could keep talking. So But before but before Garrett goes, and I don't know if you guys have talked about this in previous podcasts, but I should mention that uh, I was just turned on to an article that Garrett wrote very, very recently, just this morning, on it's called entitled Vicente Lusitano and Classical Music Selective Memory, uh, which is basically based on uh, this this uh, African Portuguese musician uh who is quite possibly the first black published composer back in the 16th century so which i had not i had never heard of him so i was just like oh wow and it was it is a it is a it is an article i told you it's a good show it's in van magazine (laughs) yeah it's long it's over 2000 words i really pushed the boundaries of what they would let me do (laughs) so yeah he 
this he's a he was a composer and actually has a lot of really um, amazing research on uh, well at from the time of the 16th century uh stuff about improvisation and counterpoint that is not in english so it's only in i think latin and spanish maybe um fascinating but uh yeah. he yeah he it, it i almost brought this up earlier um so but rob thank you for bringing it up because it makes me seem less uh, self-centered so i appreciate <laughs> still trying to but, um, yeah keep we yourself were, off we were, jamie's list from me to you we were talking about like composers developing like their mystique and lore and that sort of thing and ego and he's his obscurity is kind of related to one of his contempt i believe uh, there's a lot of evidence suggesting one of his contemporaries worked very hard to erase his accomplishments and i and i'm interested oh. in doing some research to try to see how closely this contemporary of his um an italian composer named nicola vicentino um actually sort of co-opted a lot of Lusitano's huh. work. Um, wow. But yeah, he, so his identity has been, I mean, obviously in the 16th century, people knew he was uh, black, and uh, there was a 17th century enc encyclopedia of Portuguese musicians that talked about his race, but it was never published. It was only, it only existed as a manuscript, and so... From that, people in the 20th century figured out that he was part black, and then there was a big article in the 1980s by a musicologist named Robert Stevenson, who specialized in, he was at the University of Minnesota and did a ton of work on music, um, classical music in the African diaspora, and um, so he published in 1982 about Lusitano, and then very almost nothing has happened. So it was kind of the article is sort of about like why is he so obscure, partially because of things that happened centuries ago, and then in the last few decades, like why does he remain still obscure? Because his music is incredibly interesting. Um, in addition That's to the amazing. His historical significance. So yeah, yeah thank you for um, thank you yeah. for bringing that up. So. Absolutely, because I was reading the article, I was like, "Wow, this is really cool," and I'm like, "Who wrote this?" So like, oh, look at that, Garrett Sean. AG ADJC. I know That's him. Right. That's right. Hey, hey, Rob McClure, when you post this podcast, can you give us a link to that article? No, but Jamie and Andrew can. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's on us, huh? Yeah, okay. Um, I have to open a tenth tab while I'm making previews. They, they do the posting. <laughs> oh man! I need to deal with a baby, so I'm we'll going deal to deal with the baby. I'm going to bow. Gary, out. you go um, deal with the baby. It's been a lot of fun, um, and uh, and apparently it's not over. Yeah, God, so, no, I mean, not like this one and not like the series. Don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, yeah. Garrett. <laughs> and and Garrett, remember, I've got like a whole growler of something. I'm ten hours round trip. You can go get just it. drive ten, ten hours. hours. It's only gonna last for like three days, so you gotta deal with that. So um. <laughs> okay, bye everybody. Enjoy, Garrett. Good to see you. All right, so so I'll I'll make this quick, but um, so another another story, which is which is a bit of kind of a a, a 50 50 type thing, uh, so. I wrote for for the end of my master's uh, degree. I wrote uh, this three movement work for wind ensemble. It was really whacked out, 
uh, very strange instrumentation. And the third movement was v- relatively, sh- relatively short, like three, three minutes long, four minutes long. Um, uh, but it was a very funny and it also had, um, a, uh, a part where in the middle of it, this marching band, this little like five part, five piece marching band stands up in the middle of the audience and then like plays a bit of the piece and then like leaves through the back of the hall. Okay. And so that was, that was kind of fun. Uh, well, it was, it was just at, at, at this, at this point I had, I mean, I was still relatively young as a composer. Uh, and, and so I was just like, I was just throwing everything in the kitchen sink at this thing. So, uh, I, <laughs> so when I started my doctoral studies at, at the university of Texas, one of the guests we had in the first year was John Corigliano which I was really excited about because I loved his music and shamelessly, I actually used the, uh, at least the, uh, the, um, Tarantella rhythm in that final movement of the piece. It, it didn't sound anything like his piece, but it had that Tarantella rhythm. So I was like, I'm a new doctor student. He's going to do a masterclass. I want to get my piece yep. in his thing. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. So, and I'm totally clueless. I have no idea what composer, what guest composers are like, what a good masterclass versus a bad masterclass is supposed to be like or anything like that. So I guess I seem to remember I was the first one picked. So I played the recording. I showed him the score. I put the recording in. Um, he basically looked at it and he was like staring at it for a while. And after the, after I played him the recording of, of, uh, the, the premiere recording of the piece. And he's like, he kind of looked over at, at Donald Grantham and Dan Welcher, who was, who were the professors there. And he's like, I didn't know you let folks write funny music. And everybody kind of, you know, laughed. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. That's a cool, that's a cool, uh, um, compliment. <laughs> yeah. But then he really didn't say much yeah. else. And then he went on and I thought he was just like, okay, that's how masterclasses are supposed to be. And then he, he, he goes on and he spends like another 20 minutes on the next guy's piece. So at the time I was like, oh, this is cool. I got a chance to meet John DeCurliano. Later on, I was like, fucker, didn't say anything <laughs> about my damn piece other than the fact that it was funny. Uh, so I was thinking, okay, so now here's the rest of the yes. story. And we'll make this quick. So later on, the f- my fourth year at, at the University of Texas, the University of Texas Wind Ensemble premieres the Third Symphony by John Carigliano, his first and only work for band. Guess what he has <laughs> in that piece? <laughs> He's got a goddamn marching band. <laughs> In the goddamn audience, sorry, he's probably going to hear this. He's he's yes, Circus Maximus. He has a marching band in the audience. Sorry, Rob, it's two hours in. He's not going to hear this. Yeah, he's not going to hear it. That's true. That's true. You're you're absolutely right. Loving. Once we said that, a Deemer story. And I'm two bourbons in. Brigliano's on his on his. And two bourbons in. Right. Yeah, yeah. So so basically, I'm I'm going. Holy shit. (laughs) 
did he, did he like, you know, did that like little nugget of an idea stick in his head three years later? He had no idea who I was, <laughs> but, that, but that like added to this piece, who the hell knows, but it's a cool story anyway. It's kind of funny where it's like, you know, the masterclass was kind of like, oh, that's cute. It was funny, but I may have actually kind of just added that little thing into his piece. And so we'll. We'll take that as my a compliment. My brain is literally <laughs> oozing out of my so. ears right now with that story. <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, okay. Rob McClure, this back to Rob you. McClure, now you are allowed to do what you've been trying to <laughs> Corona do. Corona tones. Interrupting you. Well, friends. Corona tones. No, this was. This, I'm. I'm glad we we waited for that one because that was that was a good one, Rob. That's that's pretty awesome <laughs> to know that John Crigliano ripped you off. So, um. <laughs> that's the title of the podcast. From John me to you, John. From me to you, John. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, um, it seems like uh, we had kind of talked about maybe making this the last one, but it seems like this is just Please. way too much fun to make this the last Corona tones. So. Um, we'll see if this is the last one. It's the last one. If not, you'll hear from us. You'll hear um, from us. That's that. That's <laughs> as mean, much summation as I can give. Canceled. We'll what call you. Fuck else yeah. are we gonna do? <laughs> I mean, I could. It's not like we're going yeah, anywhere. It's true. Super it's true. true. And these are fun. So, anyway, uh, once again, if you've made it this far, uh, thanks. You're, do you, uh, should, should we leave another Easter egg in here? I, I think yes. still, you know what, yes. we still have the True Loyalty 20, right? We still do. St- so True Loyalty so 20. So are you saying nobody's made it that far? I don't know. Nobody's <laughs> bought anything that has made it this far. But you know what, we do have some very loyal listeners. We, so, we do. Um, it, you know, we still have the True Loyalty 20 coupon code going on on the Adjective website. If you've made it this far... And you didn't hear the last episode we offered this. Please feel free to use that true loyalty twenty all caps for the letters and one word. One word. Uh, I know I'm writing this down for when I want to do another one of our pieces with my students, and I'm just going to put in the true loyalty I twenty. I think that's an entirely that's appropriate. A, that's a fantastic <laughs> idea. Because um, I made it this far. You did make it this far. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for doing this, and uh... we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.